Welcome to Murph's Boston Sports Talk here from Murph's Boston Sports Talk studio in uh, wonderful Rhode Island. Today we have a wonderful episode full of sports topics surrounding all four Boston sports teams, the Boston Red Sox, Boston Celtics, Boston Bruins, and your New England Patriots. Stay tuned for more from Murph's Boston Sports Talk. Enjoy the episode. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I am your host, James Murphy, a.k.a. Murph, and we have a full, jammed, packed episode of a lot of stuff that we need to get to, a lot of stuff that I wasn't able to get to on Wednesday's episode due to the uh, collaboration that I did with my friend Evan revolving around drafting some NBA players and just, just generating discussion revolving around certain players and why we took them and all that. Super fun. I strongly suggest go checking it out. It is episode 23 that aired on Wednesday. It was, like I said, super fun. We're definitely going to do something like that again, but for baseball, probably with a little twist to it. Obviously, it's not yet in the works, but it soon will be, and we're both looking forward to it, as always, whenever we get together. But for today's episode, yes, we do have a lot of stuff to get into, and to be honest, I'm going to enjoy this episode. I really am, because... I have a lot of good stuff to say, not a lot of bad stuff to say at all in regards to anything about the topics that I have planned for today. I'm going to be talking about the Red Sox, going to be talking about the Bruins, Patriots stuff, and I don't know if I can talk about the Celtics. I really can't. Um, I do have one point that I'm going to say later on, but that's it, because I said I wasn't going to talk about any more Celtics until they are two games above 500 or they make a major move. In terms of trading, signing, releasing, you know the drill. So let's just dive right into these quick hits. Quick hits. And I want to start off with the probably the biggest emotional headline that we're going to see all year from the Boston Bruins. And that's the Dano Chara coming back to TD Garden for the first time. So the Washington Capitals and the Bruins have played a few times already, but those were all in D.C., However, this is the first time that Zidane Char has come back to Boston. And yes, there are no fans as of now, but there was still a tribute being played. And all the players on both sides respected Chara and you know, they gave him like a standing ovation. And it was super, super emotional, super uh, meaningful. And you could just feel the love and the energy and connection from the tribute. And you could see it in Chara's face where he was getting a little emotional. He was trying to hold it back. But you could just tell. And if you haven't seen the video, I strongly recommend you doing it. It's on Twitter. It's on YouTube, Instagram, everywhere. And I can cannot wait until there's fans back in the stadium so they can do it again. Obviously, a little bit different, of course, where he can fully embrace not the whole TD Garden, but some fans in the Garden just to really kind of captivate that true meaning that he gave you know, the Boston Bruins and New England in general for 14 years. So I'm going to go over the quote that he said really quickly um, in regards to his tribute. And he spoke of this on Tuesday. So quote, from day one in 2006, when I signed with the Boston Bruins, I felt really connected with the Boston fans in the city of Boston. I developed so many great friendships and connections, and we went through so many ups and downs together. We always felt their energy and support being with us and behind us in those times. The best moment that we probably all can share is to bring the Stanley Cup back to Boston in 2011. I can't tell you how much I appreciate how lucky and blessed I am to share these celebrations with the fans. Everything they've done for me and my family, all these communities I've been a part of, I just want to thank them for everything they've done for me and my family. 
for all the support and the love. Now, Chara was A1 character. He was an A1 player and an A1 personality. My favorite memory of him, there's so many of them. I mean, having an insane, insane slap shot going over 110 miles an hour. There's, you know, him wanting to fight everybody that messed with either um, our goalie Tuca or whether it was Tim Thomas back then. Even just messing around with a player, he would always go up and just want to fight everybody. And nine times out of ten, he won those fights. And his punches were unreal because he was so big and so strong. It was incredible to watch him just bully and manhandle these other men on the ice. And then most recently, my favorite memory of him is definitely Game 7 of the 2018 or excuse me, the 2019 Stanley Cup Finals, where he is on the ice being introduced with the whole face guard on after breaking his jaw in Game 6 two days earlier. I mean, come on. Now, yes, we would have loved to have won that game, but we it didn't end up that way. But to see him out there playing for his team to potentially win a Stanley Cup after breaking his jaw two days before is something I will never forget. At the time, the standing ovation from the Boston crowd gave me chills in my living room. I, oh, it was an amazing moment. And obviously, like I said, we didn't win the game and we wanted to, but that is something I will never, ever forget. And I will be so grateful for Zidane Chara for putting his life on the line. Two days later he from breaking his jaw, he's playing in game seven in the biggest game of, a lot of players' careers. So, you know, I have nothing but great words to say for Zidane Chara. I wish he was back in Boston this year. We could certainly use him right now due to the injuries and the depth situation, but I understand it's a business, and I understand why the Bruins wanted to get let, let him go to kind of promote the younger defensemen, so I get it. I don't like it, but it is what it is. And so thank you, Zidane Chara, for everything, and hopefully your time back in Boston these uh, couple days were nice, granted COVID. Moving over to Red Sox spring training. Yes, spring training is fully underway now, and the team is actually looking really solid. I'm not going to lie. Uh, a lot of the players are getting playing time. Obviously, younger players, veteran players, you got to kind of have to spread it out a little bit. And, you know, you can't have everyone playing in the month of March after having some downtime. And on top of that, coming off a shortened season, don't want to get them too fatigued right away, but definitely want to slow them into it and that's a great way that I think Alex Cora is doing that is just kind of getting everybody a few at-bats here and there not overloading anyone's schedule really getting a look at where everyone is right now in terms of their development in terms of their capability coming out of the winter highlighting highlighting players uh Kike Hernandez really like what I see from him great utility man Jaron Duran, who I've been raving about early, you know, he's doing really good. He's had 10 at-bats. He has five hits. That's a 500 average. Looking really good there. Bobby Dahlbeck, he has three home runs and 10 at-bats. Can't complain about that. Jeter Downs, um, two for six so far early in spring training. But, you know, he's young. He's got a long way to go. But definitely a good little sign right there. Michael Chavis even, you know, one home run and nine at-bats. So I'm not going to go through the whole thing of all these players, but definitely keep an eye out and definitely tune into some spring training games if you can, because like I said, good to see prospects getting playing time, especially with not really having a spring training last year. Well, I guess it got shut down last year, but
but just to kind of see a lot of these players that you'd like to see on the team come, I guess, the end of March. Or I guess, no, the beginning of April because the season starts April 1st. But also just to kind of get familiar with yourself for the few of these players. Like I said, uh, Enrique Hernandez, now he's a prospect, but he's a new player. Jaron Durant, Bobby Dahlbeck, Jeter Downs, those prospects right there. Even Hunter Renfro is looking pretty good. He's 3-for-8 so far in spring training. Jonathan Araruz, 4-for-11. So a lot of players are playing very well right now. And like I said, it's still early in spring training, so you can't really judge these players. But I personally like what I'm seeing after being so critical on them all throughout the winter and on this podcast. So potentially they can shut me up. Potentially they can, you know, shove a fork down me and say, haha, I told you so, Boston Red Sox are back, which I would love to see. But as of right now, you got to take it for what it's worth. It's just spring training. But nonetheless, good to see what I'm seeing. I want to see more of it. Celtics winning a few games in a row. Nice. Campbell Walken playing better. Nice. That's going to do it for Quick Hits. Now let's jump over to some Patriots chatter or some football news, let's say. I think, you know, we all know that the Vikings, the Minnesota Vikings, have now released Kyle Rudolph. Um, He's been cut from the Vikings after rejecting a pay cut for the upcoming 2021 season. And a lot of teams are coming up to their veteran players looking for pay cuts, wanting them to take pay cuts because the salary cap is going to plateau this year after, you know, teams not being able to have fans in the stadiums, fans boycotting the NFL for whatever social uh, justice reason I'm not going to go into, but that is a factor also, ratings were up and down all throughout the season. It goes into the whole boycotting thing, fans not being in the stadium, yada, yada, yada. Um, it's just all things that kind of formulate into the 2021 salary cap, and right now it's plateaued. I hear it's around 181, 185. Let's just be generous and go 185. It's definitely lower than what was projected. I believe it was projected to be like 194, 196 for the upcoming season, so going up a little bit, but it has not, and it's not going to. So obviously teams have younger players that they, A, either need to pay, or B, that is going to have like a salary bump, obviously in terms of their contract. So like the rookie deals, they slightly increase over time. Kyle Rudolph being 32, I believe he is, 31, sorry. So he's an aging veteran for the Vikings, and he's not terrible, don't get me wrong. He's played pretty solid, good safety net for Kirk Cousins the past few years. But going into his age 32 season, you know, the Vikings do have Irv Smith uh, Jr., who's been playing very well. They definitely like what they see from him, and they'd rather take his, what would have been, I believe, seven and a half, eight million dollar contract. I think it was around seven, actually. And they'd rather reinvest that elsewhere, obviously, because they need to go re-sign Kirk Cousins if that's what they wish to do, or they have to go out and get a quarterback elsewhere whether it's through the draft free agency whatever so with the vikings cutting him that raises the question should the patriots pursue him now if you haven't already seen my hilarious youtube shorts that i did where i give you five free agent signings that the patriots need to do in order to be a playoff team for the 2021 season and not going to spoil it too much but kyle rudolph was one of them and i make up a beautiful contract offer that's relatively around um maybe it Around what he got a couple years ago in 2019, obviously considering his age and stuff, you know, he's going to look for probably one more contract. And if you can give him a little bit extra, not too, too stupid, but just a little bit money, you could easily get him. He's already expressed interest in wanting to come to the Patriots 
for some reason. I don't know why a player would want to come here. Bill Belichick. Oh, great. Bill Belichick. Yeah, great coach. But who's going to throw you the ball, Kyle Rudolph? Joking aside, I would love to have Kyle Rudolph here. I think he'd be a really good mentor to Dalton Keene and Devin Asiasi. I think those three would be a nice, formidable tight end group, obviously led by Kyle Rudolph. He's not going to look and beg for targets. He's not a diva receiver, so you don't have to worry about that. Some notables, he has 48 career touchdowns. Um, the most he had was in 2017 where he had eight. Most receptions he had was 83 back in 2016. Most receiving yards was 840 back in 2016. Lately, he has, let's go 2018, 64 receptions, 2019, 39, then 2020, he has 28. So he is slightly dipping off a little bit, but he's going to be there for when you need him. Good safety net, someone that can do a quick little out route, go up the seam and catch a nice first down for you. And like I said, you'll have your uh, second year tight ends in Asiasi and Dalton Keene to follow behind. Hopefully one of them can emerge and eventually be yours. Eventually your number one, obviously getting tutored by Kyle Rudolph. So I really like the fact that he's available because it just opens up the free agent pool a little bit more for tight ends. So that you're not just considering, you know, bums or just kind of hoping that Asiasi and Dalton Keene take that next step on their own. I think bringing in a veteran, even if you have to overpay for Kyle Rudolph a little bit, will definitely help and serve you big time in the in the long haul. But, I mean, there's other options out there that you have to consider. Uh, Jonu Smith, obviously Rob Gronkowski is out there, which I don't think he's coming back. Jonu Smith is an interesting one. I'm not going to talk too much about him because I do really like what I see from Kyle Rudolph. Like I said, he's a veteran. He's experienced. He's not going to want... A crazy ton amount of money he's gonna want you know a decent share and he's not going to be a you know spoiled um, diva receiver I like what I see he's played all 16 games the past uh, one two three four five years except 2020 where he played 12 and I think he's going to be very consistent for the, the Patriots you know Obviously, we need to give him a quarterback. Obviously, we need to get a you know wide receiver or two to kind of you know bolster that receiving core to make him stand out better. Because if he's your number one, ugh, yikes! I mean, even maybe number two, yikes! So I mean, Kyle Rudolph is definitely going to be a great step in the right direction, and I hopefully, I really hope that the Patriots kind of jump on that opportunity. So yes, the Patriots should pursue him. Yes, they should give him what he's looking for hopefully it's you know reasonable but moving forward to another player that I think that the Patriots should kind of consider bringing in is a fan favorite of the New England Patriots and that is Kyle Van Noy he got um, released by the Dolphins on Wednesday and that is actually really shocking news because he just signed a five-year contract with the Miami Dolphins last year and he was one year into it, obviously being 2020. And they cut him. Excuse me. He signed a four-year deal. And they cut him after one year. Four-year, $51 million contract with Miami last year, including $30 million in guarantee. He was going to account for $13.9 million against the cap this coming season. Yikes. And then it goes down a little bit. 13.65 in 2022. 12.55 million in 2023. So, I'm very surprised by this because Miami Dolphins, up-and-coming team, they potentially have their starting quarterback in Tua, who's young himself. 
you know, their receivers were banged up and injured a little bit. So if they can get another one or even get healthy there, that defense is growing. Their secondary is really good. And Kyle Van Noy, you know, was a captain. He took leadership of that defense and mentored a lot of their young players. A lot of them really looked up to him. So it is a surprise across the league that they're cutting him. Obviously, it is a solely a salary cap move. I believe he was, um, I believe the Dolphins went up to him and asked him to take a pay cut. And I think he said no as well. So they were going to look to trade him. But I don't know how he kind of got out of that. But eventually, at the end of the day, the Dolphins did cut him. So Kyle Van Noy has $30 million of $51 million that he signed last year. Guaranteed. So he has his money. And now he can go out to a, whether it's an experienced team or a ring-chasing team and take less so that team can invest elsewhere for more money to bring in other assets and he can be part of a potential ring chasing team or which a lot of people think is um, very possible is that he comes back to New England obviously he's going to want to get paid but he doesn't have to get that 51 million dollars that he got with Miami he could take less to come back to New England how much less who knows but he's going to have 30 million dollars guaranteed from the Dolphins and if you can throw him maybe three years for $24 million, so that's $8 million, you can guarantee at least half of it. So $12 million, maybe more, $14, $16. Um, and then bring him back. Like I said, he's a fan favorite. He played very well when he was here uh, the past couple of years, at least. You know, when he first got here, he was okay when we traded him, traded for him from the Lions. But he really emerged as a fan favorite for the Patriots, and he emerged as a superstar for that Patriots defense, especially in 2019 when they were so, so good. And then during the Super Bowl run in 2018, um, that defense was lights out in the playoffs. So bringing him back would be a huge bolster to A, the fans, B, your front seven, C, your linebacking core, and D, it'll give you more leadership. Because right now you have Devin McCourty and... Dante Hightower as your leadership on that defense. I don't think Jason McCourty and Stephon Gilmore really kind of mold as leaders on a defense just because Hightower and McCourty, the kind of more elite defenders in their own respective. Not that Gilmore isn't. Let me let me correct myself. Gilmore is, but he doesn't have that, that, that leader mentality or that leadership personality like Hightower and McCourty do. So don't take my words for verbatim. Just take it for how I meant to say it, obviously. I would love to see Kyle Van Noy back. Like I said, three years, $24 million maybe, I think could get it done. Because like I said earlier, he's not going to want a stupid amount of money because he already has it. He's going to want to go to a, either a competitive team or maybe he might come back to the New England because he did like it here. I don't think he wanted to leave here. Just... Bill wasn't going to offer him any money, and he didn't offer him money. He didn't offer um, uh, Jamie Collins any money, so he he left as well. I think Kyle Van Noy coming back to the Patriots would be a huge move for the Patriots because like they're getting their um, COVID-19 players back as well, Hightower, Chung, and then you throw in Van Noy if you can bring him back. So now your linebacking core is starting to come back together. Chung is obviously kind of like a sub-linebacker. Ah. <sighs> I think bringing back Kyle Van Noy would be a huge play for the Patriots. Like I said, it fills so many voids and, and it fills so many needs for the Patriots. Like I said, linebacking help, front seven help, leadership help. 
It's, it's such a shocking move from the Dolphins, though. It really is. Why? Like, I understand that they're trying to save money against the salary cap. I get it, because all teams are. The Vikings did it with Kyle, um, Kyle Rudolph. The Dolphins are doing it with Kyle Van Noy. You look at J.J. Watt with the Texans. He got cut. But that was kind of a mutual thing, I would say, with um, J.J. Watt and the Texans. So, where do we think Kyle Van Noy is going to go? I mean, he does. it's not guaranteed that he's going to come back to the Patriots. Obviously not. A lot of people want him back. He, I think he wants to come back, but it's all going to matter to Bill if he offers him a, a decent enough contract. What do you think, though? I want to know what you think because Kyle Van Noy is an interesting one because he fills a lot of your needs, but he might be a little bit pricey for what Bill wants to pay for. But let me know what you think. Comment down below if you're watching on YouTube. Reach out to me on Twitter, on Instagram, at Murphs underscore Boston ST. Tell me what you think. Where is Kyle Van Noy going to be? Well, where will Kyle Van Noy be playing next year? Where will Kyle Rudolph be playing next year? I want to hear what you have to say about it. I think they'll both be in New England. That's what I think. That's what I want. That's what I hope. Kind of what I'm begging for, to be honest. Because the Patriots really, really need the help. If they can get one, that'd be great. But if they can get both, that would be better. I really think so. That would really put you know the league on notice that the Patriots are going to take this offseason seriously. They're going to go out, spend some money, make some moves. And it just really starts with bringing in some veterans for your young core. Because right now your team is relatively young. Obviously, the defense is a little older. But uh, you need both veterans and you need young guys and right now we're very young in the front seven so bringing in Kyle Van Noy like I said leader front seven help linebacker help bringing in Kyle Rudolph will help bring in um help for Asiasi and Dalton Keene at the tight end it'll help bolster your receiving group he could be your third option I think he would be a really good third option you bring in an A1 receiver and you can have you know Julian Edelman Kyle Rudolph two and three James White coming out of the backfield if you bring him back, which that is a conversation for another day. But hold on, let's just go into it real quick. I really think, and now a lot of people, a lot of New England Patriots fans love um, James White. I almost said Kyle Van Noy because I was talking about him so much. <clears throat> James White has been a vital part of this Patriot team for a long time now. The role of a pass-catching third-down running back has been a vital component of the Patriots' offense for multiple decades now. You had Kevin Falk, then you go into Shane Vereen, and then you go into James White. Three very, very good third-down pass-catching running backs. Kevin Falk was obviously a Patriot for his whole career, exceptional at what he did. When you needed him, he was there. Shane Vereen then steps in, he fills that role, he's a little bit more shiftier, and he was a stud for us in Super Bowl 49 against the Seahawks, catching, I think it was like 13 balls or whatever. Argument for him to be MVP in the Super Bowl, obviously Brady thrown for almost 400 yards, four touchdowns, that's hard to excuse. Then you go into James White when Shane Vereen leaves to go to the uh, Giants, I believe he went to. Yes, he went to the Giants because they, they wanted to pay him. The Patriots didn't want to pay him because they had James White ready, up and coming. And then James White fills that role. 
where in Super Bowl 51, he was huge himself. I think he should have been Super Bowl MVP in that game if Tom Brady didn't throw for, like I said, roughly 400 passing yards. Both of them, I believe, had 13 receptions, respectively, or, you know, give or take. It's just... And then, like I said, and then all three of them have in common is their pass catching, their specialty is third down because, you know, usually not running the ball on third down unless it's like, you know, third and short. And all three of them weren't really quote unquote running backs. They were those receiving backs. You know, a lot of running backs these days can do both run and receive. However, those three were just receiving backs and they did an excellent job at it. And right now, as it stands right now, besides James White, I don't think there's anyone that the Patriots have in the stadium that can do that. When they, um, when Kevin Falk retired, they had Shane Vereen. When Shane Vereen left to the Giants, they had James White. They had someone in-house ready to go to back, back them up with that role. They don't have that with James White. If James White leaves, I mean, Damian Harris and Sony Michelle are both running backs. You know, they kind of rush the ball. They're they're trying to be pass catchers, you know, but they're really not. Rex Burkhead, his contract is up. What are you going to do there? I mean, you're really going to bring him back, and if you do, how much is it going to cost you? How good is he going to be coming off an injury? Then that's it. That's it. So I really think that the Patriots need to prioritize bringing back James White, not because I love him, not because you know, I have a jersey of him, not because... He's really good, yes, but you need him. Patriots need him. That offense needs him because he is exceptional at what he does. He will be able to take pressure off of whoever the quarterback is. He picks up, you know, third down rushing blitzes very well. He can be a check down. He can actually be a receiver. He's not going to be your number one, but he can be your, you know, three or four. You can go with somebody. Edelman, if you bring in Rudolph, then you got White. Hopefully Harry comes in and becomes who he's supposed to be. Jacoby Myers took a nice step. But if you take out James White, then you're putting so much more pressure on your receivers, your wide receivers specifically, because let's put Kyle Rudolph to the side here. Let's just look at your receivers. And it's just so much pressure on them. They had so much pressure on them last year, and they sucked miserably. And not that James White had a killer season last year because he had a down year himself, but the whole Patriots offense kind of did. Your leading receiver was Jacoby Myers. So it's like, come on, come on. Now, is that a fault to the Patriots receivers? Maybe. Is that a fault to Cam Newton? A lot of people would say so. But if you really want to be serious, go out, make the moves and be contenders. I really think that it maybe doesn't revolve around, but... James White is definitely a huge part of that. Just like I was saying with the Patriots defense, bringing back Kyle Van Noy would fill in a bunch of roles. James White would do the same thing, but on offense. And that's why I really think that James White should be a priority re-sign for the New England Patriots with that $69 million in cap space that they have. Sticking with football here, though, let's kind of pivot and look at another team in the same division as your New England Patriots, and that's the New York Jets. Now, ever since the offseason really started, you know, there's been a lot of speculation that the Jets might move on from Sam Darnold and draft another quarterback at number two. Obviously, with Trevor Lawrence going to the Jags at number one, there's so much discussion on who that second quarterback is on the board. Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Mac Jones, Justin Fields. 
You can have that conversation and that debate all day and all all night long. It's a good one to have. It's really interesting. But it kind it's hard because a lot of teams need a quarterback. Like the Jaguars, they need a quarterback, so they're going to take Trevor Lawrence. Makes sense. The Atlanta Falcons, though, they have Matt Ryan, so they don't need a quarterback. The Carolina Panthers, they're kind of done with Teddy Two Gloves, Teddy Bridgewater, so they need a quarterback. The New England Patriots, they need a quarterback. (laughs) They need a quarterback. The Detroit Lions, they just traded away Matt Stafford. They got Jared Goff, but they're still kind of rumored to want a quarterback. So there's so much discussion going around many teams that potentially need a quarterback. Your teams like the um, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Kansas City Chiefs, Buffalo Bills, they don't need a quarterback. You could argue the Houston Texans don't because they have Deshaun Watson, but he kind of wants out of Houston. So they're kind of, you know, in the market for a quarterback as well. But the Jets at number two would either pass on a quarterback or take a quarterback. And that would honestly shake things up in the rest of the draft because that would either leave one of those top five quarterbacks. Well, I guess let's go top four because Lawrence is taken, right? So it would leave one of those top four quarterbacks still on the board at number three. Or the one would be gone, leaving only three quarterbacks on the board. So there was so much speculation. What are the Jets going to do? They still have Sam Darnold for one more year. Um, Two more years, sorry. One cheap and then fifth year rookie first round draft pick option or they could trade him get some assets draft a quarterback and kind of restart the system reboot it with Bob Sala as their coach now but we just didn't know so the other day the Jets general manager Joe Douglas finally came out and said something regarding their situation with Sam Darnold and I think it's very interesting this is what he had to say and I quote I will answer the call if it's made. Quote. Douglas said Wednesday when asked if he'd listen to offers for Darnold. Quote. As it pertains to Sam, Sam's, we think, a dynamic player in the league. This league. With unbelievable talent and who really, really has a chance to really hit his outstanding potential moving forward. But you know, like I said earlier, if calls are made, I will answer. End quote. Now, Does it say that they're going to trade Sam Darnold? No. But it does say they will consider it. Now, if a team, team whoever, calls them and be like, da-da-da-da-da, second round, third round, fifth round, whatever, Jets are going to contemplate, they're going to think about it, and they might take it. Now they need a quarterback, and then Zach Wilson, Lance, Fields, um, Jones is gone, leaving you three quarterbacks, and the Patriots at 14, excuse me, Patriots at 15, going to have to kind of either hope and pray that a quarterback is on the board at the time or they're going to have to trade up and take somebody. But if they keep Darnold and they want to stick with Darnold and not draft a quarterback, then one of those quarterbacks may still be on the board come 15 or there's a lot lot more wiggle room because there's another quarterback available. Because if you don't hit on one of the top five, obviously with Lawrence not going to be available, count him out, the remaining four quarterbacks, you are porked. You are pork chopped, Dunzo, because you better have either a quarterback signed, a veteran quarterback signed. I don't 
whether it's Mariota, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Alex Smith, you trade for Garoppolo, doesn't matter. Conversation for another day. If you don't have one of those guys, your plan better be to draft a quarterback in the draft. And this news about the Jets contemplating or will listen to offers on Sam Darnold. Haven't heard about any offers as of yet, but if there are, that's going to put the Jets in a good spot because they can either take those offers, can contemplate it, trade Darnold, and then draft another quarterback at number two, whichever quarterback they want, by the way, at number two. Because, like I said, Lawrence not on the board, so they will have the first pick of the cream of the crop that's remaining, leaving the Patriots porked because... The Jets will not trade Darnold in the division. You will not be getting Sam Darnold via trade. What are you going to do? Hypothetically, Jets trade Darnold. They draft Zach Wilson. Seems like the number two guy right now. That leaves you with Trey Lance, Mac Jones, and Justin Fields remaining for, like I said, the Lions, the Falcons. Uh, There's rumors about the Eagles taking a quarterback, which I don't think they will, but the Panthers even. Um, there's a little bit of rumors about the Giants taking somebody, the Cowboys potentially taking somebody, the 49ers taking somebody if they want to trade up or down for a quarterback. Who knows? But, like, this is really tricky. This really is tricky. And if you hear me, that's my pen on, on the paper because this is something I didn't really want to hear. I really didn't want to hear that the Jets would consider trading Sam Darnold because of those reasons. They trade them, they get a sweet offer from a team. Team whoever gives them a sweet offer, they take it, then they draft Zach Wilson. Now there's only three quarterbacks left between you at number three and 15. You're not going to get one of those three remaining quarterbacks. I promise you that unless you trade up. And trading up, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know. I mean, Mel Kuyper has a mock trade between um, the Broncos at nine and the Patriots at 15. That might get you somebody, but is nine going to be good enough? I don't know. I really don't know. So this news that Sam Darnold will be potentially considered for a trade, a.k.a. the Jets will answer calls, or the Jets GM will answer calls in regards to Sam Darnold, highly impacts the New England Patriots so, so much. Patriots aren't going to trade, or I guess the Jets won't trade Darnold to the Patriots, cross that out. If the Jets trade Darnold, cross out Zach Wilson or one of the remaining four quarterbacks, leaving you with only three left. If they keep Darnold, then there's still those four remaining quarterbacks left. It's This is really what you don't want to hear if you're a New England Patriots fan, insider, team personnel, player, whoever. This is bad news because if the Jets get that sweet offer, like I'm saying... They're probably going to jump on it and try to ride the wave of Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Mac Jones, Justin Field, whoever. Leaving the rest of the draft with only three of those top five quarterbacks remaining. And you will not get one because there's other teams out there that still need a quarterback will that will take one. And you're going to be porked. You're going to be screwed. And you're going to look stupid and foolish yet again this offseason for not bringing in a quarterback. But... With all that being said, I do want to get to um, a little bit Celtics chatter, kind of circling back around, covering all four sports teams. And this is actually really interesting. And I know I said, I'm not going to talk about the Celtics, but I'm not going to talk about them playing. I'm going to talk about an old player of the Celtics who's a, a insider now, and that's Kendrick 
Perkins. Yes, the old center for the Celtics had really something interesting to say that I want to share. And I really think this is strongly interesting. So the question was proposed, what do the Celtics need? Or what are the Celtics missing? And this is what he has to say. Guess what? I've been thinking a lot. And guess what the Celtics are missing? Leadership, right? They're also missing a floor general. No, no matter how, like Scott was saying, it's going to take time for JT and JB to be able to develop that level of being a floor generals because they're so young. Right now, I'm looking at, at the Atlanta Hawks, and guess what? Rondo is not fitting in well over there. Bring Rondo back home. We all know when Rondo elevates his game, what he's capable of doing. Just ask the Lakers. They're struggling without him. I could just imagine Rondo being on the court with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Kimball. Although you may be small, but the ball will be moving. Guys will be getting easier shots. Guys will be put in position to be successful. And we will be bringing old Rajon Rondo back to Boston. Before I give my thoughts and take about Kendrick Perkins and what he had to say, I just want to leave you a few seconds of silence and just think about that. Think about what he said, bringing Rajon Rondo back. Interesting, isn't it? Didn't think that it's a possibility. I did. I've been saying for a couple years now, I believe before he went to the Lakers, Rondo, that the Celtics should bring him back because what Kendrick Perkins is saying is what the Celtics need. A leader. Floor general, someone who's going to pass the ball. That is what the Celtics are missing. They're missing that true, true point guard. Someone who's going to get you open shots. Someone who's going to move the ball around. Someone who's not greedy. Someone who can help elevate other players' game. Someone who can elevate their own game. Look at when Rondo was with the Bulls a few years ago. When the Bulls had Rondo in, I think it was the first round of the playoffs, they beat the Celtics the first two games. Rondo breaks his hand uh, towards the end of game two, and then the Celtics back sweep them, winning four straight, knocking the Bulls out of the playoffs. The Bulls needed Rajon Rondo, and they crumbled without him. Look at the Lakers. They're underperforming. I don't want to say underperforming. Oh, that's so terrible to say. But they're not playing well right now because Anthony Davis is out. Every team hits a rough patch, and the Lakers are doing that right now. I'm not going to say Rondo's the reason why they're in that rough patch, but Rondo certainly helped that team the past couple of seasons, especially last year when they won the finals. And you look at this team now. You have Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, two, hopefully, superstars in the making, at least all-stars. We have to say that. Kemba's playing nice these past couple of days, but he's still overall underperforming. Marcus Smart, he likes to think that he's more of a scorer than he is, but he's a defensive weapon and a role player at the end of the day. Now, a few years ago, the Celtics traded Rajon Rondo to get some assets back and to give Marcus Smart more playing time because Marcus Smart was a rookie at that time and Rondo was coming back from a torn ACL, played a few games, and then the Celtics traded him for a first-round pick, Jay Crowder, Brandon Wright, and Jameer Nelson, plus a $13 million trade exception. Oh, in addition, the Celtics traded Dwight Powell to the Mavericks. He's still with them, so he's having a nice low career out there, but nonetheless, it was an overall good trade for the Celtics, you know, moving on from Rondo, getting younger, getting pieces back in return to eventually, you know, rebuild like they were doing. Jay Crowder was a good player for the Celtics when he was here. And 
Rondo's been kind of around the league ever since he left. He's older. He's a veteran. Kind of what the Celtics need. He's not a, a scorer. He's not a three-point option like I've been saying that the Celtics do need. But I think right now, leadership, selfless player, and someone with experience is what they need the most. And I think that trumps every other need that they have because with Rondo, it could kind of help put things in, put other things into place. I really, I'm a big Rondo fan. Rondo is one of my favorite Celtics players of all time. In his prime, dropping triple doubles. He like broke his, dislocated his elbow one game against the Heat during the playoffs, comes back and continues playing. I could go on and on about Rondo. So I'm trying to give my take about this with no bias, obviously, because this is unbiased and unscripted sports, sports podcast. But just think about it. Think about what Rondo would do for the Celtics. It would put so much less pressure on Jalen Brown and Jason, Jason Tatum. Everything that Kendrick Perkins said about Rajon Rondo is true. The Lakers are, you know, missing him. He's not fitting in well with the Hawks. And he is everything that the Celtics need. I've been hoping and praying that the Celtics would bring him back. And I think now is more than ever that it is apparent the Celtics need him. He's not gonna he's not gonna cost you all that much. He's a 34-year-old veteran at this point. And he will help fit the mold that this team should be. And right now that they're not, they don't have any veterans. They don't have any experienced players. Kemba's like the most, I think Kemba's the oldest player on the team with the most experience. But other than last year, he's had no playoff success. Rondo, he has two um, championships in his pocket. Obviously, yes, you could say he was the fourth wheel on the Celtics Big 3 in 08. Sure. But he was a big factor for the Lakers last year. He was. Didn't score all that many points. But, you know, for that second unit, being a leader, being a mentor for the young guys, selfless, floor general, that's exactly what the Celtics need right now. And I love what Kendrick Perkins said. I fully support it. I am behind it. And Danny Ainge should bring him home. He was announced a captain for the Celtics his first game when he came back from tearing his ACL, and then they trade him like two weeks later. Bring your captain home. Bring your captain home. I think fans would love to see Rondo back. A lot of fans don't like him, but in the grand scheme of things, it'd be nice to have a familiar face, someone who cares and bleeds green in Rajon Rondo. (sighs) Yeah, all four sports covered. I love episodes that cover all four sports. Bruins, Red Sox, Patriots, Celtics. Oh, it was so fun to do this episode. It really was. And hopefully you were able to enjoy it as well. We covered a bunch of stuff. Like like I said, it was a jam-packed episode full of a tremendous amount of information, tremendous amount of news and rumors and reports and stuff that's really worth talking about and discussing. So hopefully you were able to enjoy it as well. Reach out to me on Twitter and Instagram at Merce underscore Boston ST. Tell me what you thought about it. Tell me what you're thinking. Bringing Rondo back, good move, bad move. Trying to sign Kyle Rudolph or Kyle Van Noy. Good move, bad move. What does it mean that the Jets are potentially shopping Sam Darnold? Or I guess I should say taking calls on him. What does that mean for the Patriots in the rest of the draft period? Also, have you caught a few Red Sox games? I mean, like I said, they're looking pretty good. I know it's only spring training and exhibition games, but they're looking pretty good. I love what I'm seeing. 
If you're watching on YouTube, comment down below your thoughts. I'd love to hear about it. Definitely chuck this video a like rating if you haven't already and you enjoyed it. It would mean so much. Subscribe to the channel if you're new. And regardless if you're watching or listening, thank you so much for downloading. Thank you so much for enjoying this episode. I will catch you in the next one. But until then, see ya. The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeatsBeets.com and save 15% with promo code DEAL. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.